Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Dr. Neela Jessel, Chief Medical Officer at Athena Health. Athena Health is one of the leading U.S. providers of network-enabled services for healthcare and point-of-care mobile apps. She joins us on the program to talk about the biggest challenges currently facing healthcare, including the burden that a lot of new technology is placing on doctors. Throughout her appearance, Dr. Jessel underscores the many ways data can be used for improved patient experiences that bear a strong resemblance to customer experience workflows in other industries. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Neela, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast this week. Thank you for having me. Healthcare is a space that's very complicated, and the ways that AI is impacting the space is widespread and filled with nuance. All at the same time, just given the state of AI adoption in healthcare right now, what comes to the surface for you in terms of the biggest challenges currently facing the sector? I think the biggest challenge in healthcare today is that healthcare has changed pretty dramatically over the last decade or so. Like the stakes have gotten a lot higher. Healthcare is moving to a more consumer centric model. There's lots of new care models and regulatory requirements and access to information has also become significantly easier with the advent of electronic health records over you know, the last 20 years or so since EHRs became a thing. So I think, you know, the old days of where you were able to practice medicine the same way for your entire career and patients would still come and see you and love you, those days are unfortunately over. And today, in today's world, every organization really has to strive to deliver high-quality care with optimal patient outcomes at the lowest possible cost and deliver a first-rate patient experience while you're at it and, and do all this ideally without burning out your providers and staff. And, and I think especially the last point is still very much not happening today, quite the contrary. Like all those new requirements imposed upon providers and the care team and the clinical staff have led to significant rates of frustration and burnout, for lack of better word, in the healthcare community in general. And, and this is becoming an ever-increasing challenge because there's a fixed pipeline of, of new physicians. Right? Residency positions have not increased significantly over the last years. There's also a significant nursing shortage. And I think by and large, most healthcare organizations today are really worried about staffing and maintaining that staffing and being able to deliver really high quality care with the existing numbers of providers and clinical staff. Yes. I mean, I know that's a big headline from post-pandemic, but I think that's something that industry insiders have known has been going on for a little bit, this this factor of burnout. And I know even when we look outside the sector, almost everywhere outside the sector, the myth that technology would mean less working hours, I mean, just doesn't really seem to be the case across the board. Going back 50 years of these predictions, or even going into the 30s, you really read the literature. And it's and especially living in it with AI today, it's hilarious. No matter where you are, you could be a doctor, you could have my job as just a lowly, you know, senior editor, content editor. But at the end of the day, 
technology is a huge reason why we're working more and more hours than ever. And I know this is this is the case for doctors. Tell us a little bit about technology being part of the problem. Yeah, and I'm I'm not a hundred percent convinced that it's truly technology that's adding all these additional. Sure, things. right. I think I think you know technology has kind of become the bad guy over the last twenty years because again, with the invention of technology and especially the surfacing of electronic health record technology, there have been many additional changes in the healthcare industry, right? New payment models, new regulatory requirements, increased transparency, new care models. So I think all these things combined have led to a significantly increased administrative burden. And, and I will 100% agree with you that technology today in healthcare is not yet where it should be, right? We are far behind other comparable industries. And, and that may be because there is no comparable industry, right? Because healthcare right. is pretty much the only industry where it's not a direct transaction <laughs> between the provider and the patient, but mm -hmm. there is a middleman and there's significant regulatory requirements. And you don't really see that in other industries to the same degree and and there's also a significant you know trust issue obviously because it's your healthcare so i i think technology today is contributing to the problem for sure because the legacy ehr electronic health record technology in particular is not where we would like it to be and and there's a reason for that right when electronic health records were invented that was done to facilitate payment, billing and payment, right? N none of that right. was done to facilitate clinical care. The clinical care was an afterthought. And, and as you know, especially in the first 10 years or so, physicians were rarely consulted. Clinicians right. in general, right? This was all done by software, software developers, IT professionals, payers, what have you. But nowhere was the clinician consulted or involved outside maybe of the VA, which, you know, historically has had a system that physicians have loved. But, you know, in the rest of the industry, that was not the case. That has changed over the last 10 years or so where, where you know, everybody realized that, listen, like this isn't going anywhere unless you bring clinicians to the table and you actually design the system with clinical workflows front and center. And that's when, you know, clinic informatics became a thing and people such as myself have started to be consulted more and more. But we have a lot of catch up to do, right? Compared to other right. industries, there is a lot of legacy EHR technology still out there. And converting it to, you know, a newer, better way of doing things takes time. So while I do agree that technology is contributing to the burden today, I also firmly believe that technology ultimately will be the solution and not just ai i think ai has artificial intelligence has significant potential to alleviate and mitigate some of those current administrative burdens and, and frustrations with technology but i also think that basic technology without even throwing ai into the mix will get significantly better over the next couple of years Absolutely. A very illuminating answer. And, and just a couple of things I want to pull apart from it. First off, that healthcare is completely unique. You're right at the crux of life sciences and almost the next most relative sector in my mind. And it's not that good a comparison. It's not that many similarities, but it might be banking or financial services to the extent of you know, banking and financial services right now with artificial intelligence, they're thinking all about the customer experience. Yeah. Now, now, healthcare folks 
patient is not by definition a customer. It's a very, very different relationship. But a banking customer has a lot of the same concerns in terms of privacy, everything going into that data, how well that customer needs to be taken yeah. care of. And I think across the board, you're seeing a lot of healthcare leaders for the past five years, definitely well before pandemic, looking over at financial services and saying, I see what you're building over there with customer journeys. We need to start thinking of the patient journeys. And I heard that a lot in your last answer. Something else in your, in your last answer that really differentiates healthcare, even as compared to banking, is for lack of a better way of, of defining the line, it might be HIPAA. It might be that there's, you know, half the industry is right next to the patient and they are the nurses and the doctors and they need to be very careful about what they do. That I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, is where a lot of the administrative burden lands. And then everybody outside of HIPAA, let's just say, you know, the, the folks, very important jobs, cleaning up the hospitals, you know, running the service desk, running the cafeteria. My wife's actually visiting her grandmother in the hospital right now and is like, thank God for the cafeteria. <laughs> they might not be direct patient interactions, but they are tremendous, important roles for the, for the patient experience. Yeah. And they don't really fall under HIPAA, but that's also where we start to see maybe the, the best or, or at least the initial beachheads for AI to come in and really streamline a lot of that work. Talk about that divide Tell us a little bit about maybe where you're seeing data make a difference on both sides of that HIPAA line. So I assume when you refer to HIPAA, you, you mean by people who have direct interactions with the patient. Yes, and, exactly. And, you know, I, I will point out that anybody who works in a healthcare facility falls under, under HIPAA because you see patient information, right? Even if you're the janitor and, and you clean and there happens to be a chart and you see it, you are still... yes you're still obligated not to release any of the patient information. But, you know, you're absolutely correct that there is roles in healthcare that have direct patient contact, and there's many, many, many supportive roles that may not have direct patient contact, but are absolutely vital to the seamless operations and to the patient experience, as you point out. And there was actually a, there's a, there was a funny episode. I, I thought that was very telling in and the NBC, there's an NBC show, New Amsterdam. It's actually set in a you know fictional Bellevue hospital in New York City. Right. And there's one episode where all the support staff goes on strike. And, you know, the hospital leader is flustered because none of the physicians can operate, right? Like everything grinds to a halt. And they realize how important everybody is in a healthcare system, even if you don't have direct patient contact. It was a very yeah. impressive episode. So, you know, that's when, when I think of when you talk about how do the roles differ and how does everybody at the end of the day support not just patient care, but also the patient experience. And you'll often find this in surveys and you'll often hear providers crumble, for example, that in when we get evaluated by patients and provider surveys, many of the negative comments are often about, I couldn't find parking. The receptionist was not to me. No one answered the yeah. call, right? Because again, ultimately, that's, you, it doesn't matter how great your provider is. If the rest of your experience isn't good, you're going to walk away with a negative opinion of your visit, right? And, and even if you got perfect medical care from the physician. So I think over the last, you know, to your point, over the last couple of years, healthcare has really come to realize that the patient experience is an absolutely crucial component of the overall 
you know, medical experience, healthcare experience. And this is why there has been a dramatic shift to take the patient experience more into account and actually, I don't want to say cater to the patient, but make sure that the patient actually becomes a part of the care team instead of being an afterthought. Right, right. Now, now it seems to me in, in trying to, you know, elevate the patient experience, it seems like kind of the, the golden goose metric seems to be high value interact or correct me yes. if I'm wrong, but high value interactions yes. with their physicians. What are the dynamics going into that, that you've seen in the data? Like what leads you to their, you know, downstream from, I can't find a parking spot because that's <laughs> something we would have never thought before data and yeah. surveys. <laughs> yeah. That's where patient service are actually very valuable. And, 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 you know, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of leveraging data to shed light on challenges and, and figure out where do they actually, where do they actually originate and how, how can you solve them? Right. Because, having the physician be even nicer doesn't solve all the other challenges. It's an important component, but still. So I think the high value lies in ensuring appropriate face-to-face -face time, especially with in-person pa in patient visits, right? Enough time, patients must have the perception or must leave the visit with the perception that they had adequate time with their provider that, and, and the staff, right? And the nurse and the medical assistant and everybody else in the office and that the people interacting with the patient during the visit were actually focused on that person and not on the screen on the facts on the incoming phone call right all those distractions and i think that starts all the way from the patient coming to the office interacting with the receptionist getting a friendly greeting getting eye contact right having the receptionist not be distracted was answering phone calls triaging questions from other patients all the way to the check-in press process, the intake process, when the medical assistant or nurse actually takes the patient back, reviews the history, takes the vital signs. You don't want the person who does these things distracted while they do it, right? You, you only have your visit once a year or every couple of months, and you actually want to get everybody's undivided attention. And then the interaction with the provider, like no one wants a provider who has their back turned to them, right? While they're sitting right. through a computer screen and clicking through an ungodly number of pages to find the last relevant lab result, for example, right? And, and it's like distracted and only half, half listening to the questions the patient is asking. So I think to really ensure seamless patient experience and also ensure, you know, appropriate outcomes, all those distractions, those administrative distractions, for lack of a better word, can be removed from the clinical workflow by leveraging technology appropriately. Indeed. Now, you brought up the receptionist and knowing from talking with a ton of our banking friends and financial services friends, we know the end game for customer experiences, especially for call centers and in banking, is you have some sort of AI co-pilot mm -hmm. giving you the entire history of the customer, yes. you know, providing you upsell opportunities. I take it we're not <laughs> there yet in, in the healthcare industry that we have full-fledged co-pilots for the first person who sees me when I walk into the hospital or I call yes. 911. No, we're not there yet. Not, not yet. And I'm also, you know, somewhat ambivalent about do we ever want to get there? Because you and I right. know from our experience, personal experience with those industries, it's really hard to actually talk to a person, right? You got to click to 
ungodly number of electronic menus and and maybe after hanging yep. on you three times maybe eventually you'll make it to a real life person that can actually answer your question now banking isn't urgent right whether i access usually there's certainly urgent scenarios but for the most part whether i access my account right. information now or an hour later probably isn't that could won't be life or death. Right? Won't be life or death. <laughs> if I'm having chest pains, right, or my baby has a fever and someone keeps me in a holding pattern for an hour, that's not a good patient experience, right? So I I, I would say leveraging AI as a co-pilot, while that's certainly on my personal list of interests and, and potential endeavors to pursue, isn't the first application I would come up with for numerous reasons, right? Because artificial intelligence today, despite featuring intelligence in the name, it's really not intelligent, right? There is no, there's no intelligence. These are probability driven algorithms, right? That basically predict largely what the next piece of text should be. They should surface that will look halfway intelligent, right? There's no ability to reason. Yes. There's no ability to draw inferences. And that's where AI even though many of those generative AI models today sound very intelligent to a mm -hmm. certain point, you can push them to where this all falls apart. And that's where, you know, I'm personally, even though I have that vision that ultimately will leverage, you know, an AI chatbot, and that's already being done and, you know, in yeah. some basic use cases, but we'll ultimately leverage an AI chatbot to perhaps triage incoming patient questions and then surface them to the appropriate next level nurse provider what have you for further for further assistance because many of the questions that come in are routine just like in banking and don't mm -hmm. necessarily require the high touch of an actual real life person and, and that would certainly be an opportunity to help with staffing shortages and leverage existing nurses and providers appropriately. And I'm thinking, especially of, of nighttime phone calls, right? I'm a pediatrician, so I can't tell you how many times over my lifetime I've been woken up with the Tylenol dose for a kid with fever, right? Would I love right. to hand this off to ChatGPT? Sure. <laughs> yes. So I will tell you, though, that in my testing, I have actually asked, I've done some of the testing and, you know, pretended to be a parent. Here's my three-year-old. This is the weight. You know, what's the Tylenol dose? And I got a very intelligent answer back. This is the Tylenol dose only, you know, as a physician, I knew that the Tylenol dose was actually grossly underdosed. It was probably about half. Wow. So I would say, are you sure that's the correct Tylenol dose? And back would come the answer. Oh, I'm so sorry. My apologies for the confusion. The yeah. dose is actually blah, blah, blah. Right. And then the second time the dose was correct, but how many patients would know to question? <laughs> and, and, and then, and then, I mean, I, I, like, and then you have the irony of, you know, if it's correct the second time that that leads to bigger black box questions, if you're yeah. going to give it to me, right. And it, it's one thing, if you're just going to give me gibberish in a, yeah. in a Mad Libs template exactly. every single time, that's your function. But if you could have given me the answer, why didn't you give it to me the first time? And that's a whole new black box issue. That's a potential, yeah. you know, malfeasance lawsuit. And, and, and I think you've definitely made your point about just like the pitfalls of this technology writ large. I also want to put a finer point on on the predictive in the text. That's largely large language models. AI AI is a is a much broader yes, umbrella, of 100%. course. Even if a lot of it works this way in healthcare, I do want to ask you about where, and I think this exemplifies 
the last few answers you've given, just the AI-powered voice assistant technology use case from Athena Health. As I understand it, you use this tool distinctly to reduce time on documentation. So how does this solution avoid avoid that scenario? So Yeah, so so the we call it ambient voice technology. It is basically technology that allows providers to speak to the application, similar to right. how you leverage, you know, other consumer-centric devices today and you order them to turn on music, look up the weather forecast, find order, use socks on Amazon, whatever it is that you want them to do. Right. We can leverage our ambient voice technology to interact with our software and order to place an MRI order for you, reach you the last consulate note, navigate to a certain section in the chart so that you don't have to do it. So that saves a lot of clicking and it also eliminates the need to truly learn how to navigate the software. Now this is available today in our mobile application because many providers who use this are actually on the go. And you know they can complete entire notes without ever touching the application this way. And, and this is, you know, several steps beyond speech recognition, which also helps to alleviate documentation burden. But I think the next step, and, and I'm sure you have, you have followed, you know, the various news reports on this, this, this is already very much out there and being tested. The next step would be to combine this sort of ambient voice technology with a large language model generative AI product, right? And there's several of them already on the market, available for, for public use and also for enterprise use. You could visualize how instead of you telling the thing what template to pull in and where to go, right, and where to document, you could visualize the ambient technology simply listening into your conversation between you and the patient. So you would right. not, you know, say, okay, now pull in my HPI or now I want to dictate the HPI, right? You would simply talk with the patient, have your regular conversation, and then the generative AI will produce a summary of that conversation in a standardized note format and cut out all the unnecessary information, right? That's that's going to be the challenge right. to train the model to really summarize the salient, medically relevant points and cut out my questions, how's the family, right? How how was your last vacation to Aruba? Like all the chit chat that happens during a typical provider-patient interaction. And that cannot make it in the ultimate note. And then also, of course, in this model, you would have to talk out loud while you're conducting your physical examination, because obviously right. the ambient voice can't pick up on a silent exam, right? So that will not be for every provider. There's many providers who will not want to talk out loud about their physical exam findings and would prefer to continue to queue up a template. And you could say that too, right? Hey, AI, pull in my safe finding for abdominal exam, for example, and, and the AI could actually queue up that template just like today, ambient voice does or a virtual scribe or whatever other technology is already out there and being leveraged extensively today. And just that description of, you know, it'll be, it'll listen into the conversation, be able to, you know, strip the entire thing mm -hmm. of only down to the essentials. I mean, and that, like, it, it seems like kind of a light co-pilot, not necessarily to the physician, but to the entire flow of the patient and where they're going in their care, that there's this, you know, AI, like, right yeah. alongside of it, keeping track of the entire interaction also uh, a little bit of the irony that ai is giving us the most time to ask how was your trip to aruba have all those bedside manner moments 
it'll be ignoring that in terms of the transcript but that's that's actually more more of the time that we want we want that yes. those high quality interactions yep. now in terms of generative ai we're we're not we're not there yet there's also new regulations upcoming there's the 21st century cares act that will lead to more data and documents flowing through ehr systems I know it's very unpopular and and we won't hold you to making any predictions about what this will look like over the next five years. But what are you anticipating in terms of trying to see the future of where AI Mm -hmm. is going to impact healthcare? What are you focusing on in terms of laws like that or or other ways that are other ways that the industry is going to change? Yeah, I I actually don't think it's a mystery. I think it's crystal clear what, what will happen. Information flow today access to information is not nearly as much as a a problem anymore as access to too much information, right? Like over the last 10 years or so, access to information has become easier and easier as interoperability has improved. So already today, physicians really struggle to make sense of all those documents and all the information coming into the chart. And this will not get any better because new regulations like the 21st Century Cures Act will lead to even more data and documents flowing through electronic health record systems, right? Which which in theory is a good thing because you want the data to follow the patient, right? You want the next provider to have a a complete 360 degree holistic view of everything that has happened to that patient. But how can you do this in a way that actually curates the information for the provider, right? And we call this experiential interoperability. So everybody today knows what interoperability is, but how do people experience interoperability today? It's not a very good experience because it's up to the provider to make sense of all those pieces of information flowing into the chart. And they have to sift through it and try to put it into a cohesive story that makes sense and interpreted while being scared that they will miss a vital piece of information that's looking somewhere in the chart that they have, you know, accidentally overlooked. So that's, I think, is where the real opportunity for artificial intelligence and, and machine learning in particular lies to help curate the information. So instead of inundating clinicians, you know, with vast amounts of data, artificial intelligence can help, you know, decipher and contextualize those large amounts of data and actually surface it at the right point in the clinician workflow in a way that allows clinicians to make a quick assessment of what this data is and how they have to incorporate it into the clinical care of their patients. And, and I think that can absolutely be done. And, you know, where everybody is already well on their way to, to doing this with natural language processing, right? Pulling out structured data out of, you know, vast amounts of text documents and then leveraging machine learning and AI to, to actually put that data into context and surface it into an in an intelligent fashion in the clinical workflow. Absolutely. I I think you're touching on something we're seeing across the board. The name of the game for the last 20 years has been data. And now the name of the game now is context. It's not information is, is actually a dime a dozen. It's where are you putting that information in is the best information really floating to the surface? Because now as we, as we've all become very aware in, in being inundated with data, it's not all created equal. Neela, thank you so much for being with us on the show this week. I think this has been a very illuminating episode. Yeah, thank you for having me. 
You know, I really hate to keep harping on this, and if you've been paying a very close attention to the last few episodes that we've recorded in the healthcare space, I've been very, very timid about comparing what I'm seeing and what I've been calling patient experience workflows with customer experience workflows in financial services. And I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast knows why I'm so timid. We talked a lot about that factor on today's show, but it's really, really encouraging from everything that I heard in Dr. Jessel's appearance today that in the data hive mind of healthcare, that this is absolutely a thing and nothing to be ashamed of, and it's actually going to bring patients a lot of good. So we should start kind of owning this fact that healthcare has a lot to learn from areas like financial services in terms of how to treat their customers. What a world, I have to say. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast. 